Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fun fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. And you've just heard the new theme tune for our fun-filled little podcast, thanks to our good friend Lee. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> I love those little twists that uh, she put in on the uh, traditional Overture 1812. I know, it's so, so fantastic, and it was appropriate for this season. Thank you once again, the Lee. We'll put some credits in the in, in the show notes. She's Lee Wright's songs. Uh, she previously graced us with a piano rendition of the season one theme for Farscape. So... I mean, I've seen the show before, so I know that in season three, it gets a new theme tune. Yes. I know. I actually didn't notice the new theme tune. I did notice the new uh, opening credits. Really? You didn't even... Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you have something... I to mean, look- we didn't have the... Oh, I suppose. So, yes, I guess I missed that. <laughs> I, I guess I was so overblown out by the new uh, voiceover and the new uh, intro video that I didn't quite notice the music, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about. Actually... Viewers at home, we treated ourselves to a little longer recap than we usually have. So while the episode starts out, uh, and we're talking about Season 3, Episode 1, Season of Death, with a previously on Farscape, we treated ourselves to the uh, to a little extra called Farscape Undressed. Hi, my name is Ben Browder, and I'd like to welcome you to this special presentation. Farscape, what the frell is that? Which was a, a sort of a clip show. Hosted by Ben Browder and Claudia Black and Lani Tupu and, uh, oh, uh, Jonathan Hardy. I mm. almost forgot his name there. Yes. I, I, I was hoping that we'd see uh, Virginia Hayes either, uh, probably actually without her uh, makeup as Zahn, but we oh, didn't get yeah. to see that. I was, I was a little bit disappointed in that, but other than that, it was a fantastic recap of season one and two. Yes, especially with... Uh, I was going to say John Crichton, Ben Browder, and Claudia Back just eye-frelling each other. Yes, uh, they had some really time, they had some trouble trying to decide whether they were or were not in ca- or out of character. <laughs> I know. Uh, they kind of kept fading back and forth between that, which added a very fun dynamic. So this was an extra that was produced by the Sci-Fi Channel and aired just before season uh, season three aired. Actually. There was two cuts of them. One of them was aired before season three aired, and in that one, Claudia Black didn't appear until right at the very end. Oh? <laughs> Lordy, Lordy, Miss Claudia. Well, sort of preserving the idea that, oh, she died at the oh, end of season two. right, and, yes. Like, oh, we all think that she's just dead, right? None of us think that she's coming back, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they made a different cut of it where she shows up right at the start because, obviously, you want to see more of Claudia Black and their fantastic chemistry. Mm. All right, so there's a little chemistry between them. Chemistry. You don't want to admit it, do you? They are meant for each other. Well worth a watch, if, especially if you're doing a rewatch of... Uh Farscape to uh, keep up with the show, or if you're watching for as a first timer, like yeah, go ahead see it. I wonder how many people came into Farscape with that, like saw Farscape undressed first, then all right, jumped in in the third season. I mean, it gives you everything you need to know to yeah. uh, get up to speed. It introduces all the characters, shows you that a lot has already happened. Wait, do you remember how it ended? Doesn't matter how it ended. And a lot of fun sound bites that I'm going to have a lot of <laughs> get a lot of mileage out of. I think. <laughs> I think what people really want to know about is all the... Cool things. Exactly. 
So, uh, this week's episode is beginning of season three, the season of death, part oh, I probably was not supposed to see that, but I got given away at the end of the uh, Yeah, we talked that about was, that. So, oh, yeah. it was, it's, it's part two, and then technically, technically, uh, Daimi Dichotomy was part one. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, but that's not how they were filmed or written. This is another one of those cases where David Kemper writes an ending to a series and then leaves it up to Ricky Manning. You tidy it up. You start the next one. (laughs) So, yes, uh, in this week's episode, a wraith goes dumpster diving, two brats cook up trouble, and everyone go try an MLT because Miracle Max was right about everything. Thank you, Jenna. I don't know what an MLT is. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, a BLT is a bacon, lettuce, and tomato. So an MLT is a... Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Miracle, lettuce, and tomato. What's Miracle Max? Miracle Max? Isn't that like... No, that's Miracle Whip. I was thinking of some sort of sandwich bread. Oh, wait, is it maybe a wrestler? Oh, that could be. I don't know. Yeah, because this is the episode that introduces, can I get a hell yeah? Which is yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin's like signature signature shout out. Ah, okay, that went so far over my head. I didn't even see the contrail. <laughs> Multiple people get pieces of several other people's minds. Ooh, very yes. good. A local works for everyone, but can't put his finger on the problem. Ew. <laughs> Two people make the ultimate sacrifice. Two other people make the ultimate questionable relationship move, and there is one explosion. Thanks, Horsebird. <laughs> Very succinct. I can't. Wow, these, they are so good at this. Once again, if you want to submit your own fantastic synopsis for an upcoming episode, you can do so at sofarscape.com slash submit. Don't hesitate. And bring your A game. There is a lot of fierce competition now. How long was the uh, gap between season two and season three for people who were actually watching this live when it originally came out? Ooh, that sort of depends whether you were in the US or the UK. Mm -hmm. So the season two finale aired first in the UK in December. And then in January in the US, like Americans had to wait a little longer. But then that got flipped for the arrival of season three, which started in March in the US and August in the UK. So the US had three months to wait and it was a full eight months, nine months almost for uh, for the UK. Oh, wow. Because that means that between the end of season two and the beginning of season three, only three months before the first episode aired. So they must have like... Pretty much at the moment that the uh, between airing, there's of course a difference exactly, between airing exactly. and filming. Yeah, and there was a there was a bit of a gap. We did another greatest hiatus before the last four episodes yeah. of season two. So like they'd sometimes you know they'd already be filming season three while season two was was still set to to finish. Yeah, and as always with Farscape, it was another very stressful transition. Like Dave Elsie talked about how they had to box up the entire workshop and reset it from scratch because they thought that the uh, Sydney Olympics. We're going to take over right. Homebush Bay, which I think wound up not happening. But so okay. that made made it another scramble. the The staffing was always a, always a problem because they'd rotate quite quickly through the uh, through the teams for makeup. And apparently, like every year, there was a new team for Dargo, oh. and that's why he never looks the same. Nor does Rigel. Rigel also got a new uh, a new skin and a new little paint job. Yeah, if you if you notice that, actually, Ooh. you saw that most in Farscape Undressed, where he gets a close up. Call that a close up? <laughs> Too close. Oh, mm, amateurs. It's it's very fun to see the undressed part because then you can see Rigel's development very strongly. Yeah. How he, at the beginning, he's much more frazzled and skinnier. And yeah, he, get, yeah, he gets yeah. a little bit fatter over, I mean, that makes sense, you know, when, with his eating habits and the fact that he used to be on on a prison ship, you'd think that he hardly gets a, as much to eat as he would like to have. God, so true. it makes sense that he actually gets a little bit fatter once that uh, harsh regime is uh, no longer applicable to him. Oh, that's so cool. He gets a, he gets a nice sort of green blush as well. So just, it's a, he does go more from grey to green, yes, very much he's, so. Uh, he's had a nice little peel. Mm. 
maybe he molted. I don't, do, do amphibians molt? I don't know. Uh, that they I don't do. think I mean, they so. have the larval stage. Yeah. And they, oh, I don't know. You're aquatic. What's your problem? So we open with a quite a long previously on Farscape recap, which is mostly yeah. Well, we've seen Farscape undressed, so no, it's but even I'm, I'm more talking about the actual uh, episode. But it's all that's all focused on Daimi Dichotomy and not yes, on that's the, right. uh, the previous two seasons entirely. And we open back up on this ice planet, and we're everyone's still in the same situation. Uh, yep, which has to be explained. Again, so people who haven't seen Farscape Undressed and didn't see the previously on still see every character phoning pilots to, like, just deliver some exposition by asking him questions. He's so annoyed. I love how exasperated he's like, is there any known news yet? No, I said, to- I already told you, if there's any new news, I will let you know the micro to get it. And everybody does that, and he gets more and more agitated. And <laughs> just, there's still no communication from the planet. I would have told you if they were. The micro, do you hear anything, pilot? We should be down there at Crichton's side. John did not want to say we must respect that. Yes. Pilot. I remind you that we shouldn't stay any longer than necessary. We know that, Grace. Pilot, any news? Nothing. Pilot, have you heard anything? No! When I know something, you'll know it. Until then, leave me alone. Is he always like that? Yes, but if if Scorpius finds it, yes, I know. I, I told you that. Yes. <laughs> Which is a great way of informing the viewer in a story-wise way and still making it entertaining. Yeah, it's yeah. like you have to like explain these things and tell these things rather than uh, just assume that they know. Get you where you are because yep. you've got uh, Crichton with his brain exposed and and the chip stolen and diagnosed and toe-caught dead. You've got Grunschlick being yeah. held at gunpoint by Bracker. Talon and Krace are orbiting and watching out for uh, uh, Scorpius's return, who they don't know has actually already returned because it was Scorpius that stole the, yes. the chip. All they don't know, they, they the still time. don't know this. So I love this opening. Uh, when it, when the story actually starts, Bracca and uh, Grunschlick, this little discussion between them. It's like, oh, why were you running? Well, you were chasing me. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically, that was the... Uh, <laughs> Because so why do you bring the guns? That was a precaution. Well, I was just hiding as a precaution. It's like, I thought that was amazing. So go on, Sam, put your precautions away and pay me what we agreed. Because Grunschlick is a backstabber who had been paid in advance by Scorpius to alert them in case, you know, Moya showed up, yeah. showing some incredible foresight, which we later find out he's not the only one who has that, uh, that no. kind of foresight. And Grunschlick is happy to, is the kind of person who is happy to take money from everybody yeah. and then decide whom he's going to be loyal to and what is going to work out in his best interests in the long run. Yeah, you and can see why he and Rigel got along. Yes, totally. That's uh, three very small stones. <clears throat> Much oh. to Rigel's uh, loss in the end, as it turns out, but we'll get to that. Yeah, everyone, including Scorpius, is a bit in dire straits because Scorpius arrived with a with a very small force, and he realizes he's actually quite vulnerable until the command carrier arrives. Yes, because the command carrier isn't here. Talon is orbiting, and yeah, uh, yeah, Talon can take like care of anything that shows up, even a command carrier. It's kind of implied that it's like he's not really worried about a command carrier. It's like he might not be able to outgun it, but he can certainly outrun it if if need to. Yep. So teenagers are known for knowing their limits, right? Yes, and we can clearly see that between Shana and uh, Jothi later in this episode as well. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're going to have to talk about that. But, But yes, um, Scorpius helps himself to some sashimi. Oh, my God. This was, (laughs) I mean, hot. 
kind of. I mean, it's like in a, hot in, in a the same up Scorpius kind of way because he takes the chip out and he talks about like this priceless information, and then he. Oh, he kind poor of, John. He's he, going to be so lonely. He kind of suckles the remaining bit of John's brain off that's still clinging to the chip, and he just and like just, savors it like a mm. like a, like like a Dutchman eats a herring when it's in for the first time in season. <laughs> you know, raw off the tail. Yes, that's exactly right. Oh wow, I could really go for some brined herring. Oh yes. <laughs> See, I like, it. I like them late in the season. Oh. Right? When they've had some, some real chance to sort of brine and... Brine uh, up, and then you have a little uh, bit of onion and pickle with them. Or don't you do... do you, are you with the onion and pickle? I am. Yeah. I am. I like the pickle as a starter and a finisher. Okay. I don't really do it in the middle, but for the rest, it's, uh, it's okay. diced onion I, I, all I, the way. I do it as a palate cleanser in the middle. Oh, like a bit of uh, sushi ginger. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, that's a good idea. To... People uh, from abroad who are not familiar with Dutch culinary uh, customs, one of the things we do here is the new herring, which is traditionally eaten after it's been cleaned by holding it up by the tail and then just like dangling it over your mouth and taking a big bite out of it. Eat and it, it like a seagull. Yeah, and it's sometimes served with uh, raw onion and a sliced pickle. So it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Go on, have a chew. It's delicious. No, not that bit. It's got to rot a bit more. Here, try this. No, I think I'll pass. Uh, anyway, uh, so after this yes, I can really relate to him <laughs> to really savoring this little bit of. Mm, 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 mm. <sighs> now, a good cliffhanger seems unresolvable, mm. right? And it's there is a bit of a tradition to then show that oh no, it wasn't unresolvable after all, which is the case here when it turns out that Tokot, who got breathed in the in the nose and mouth, which should be lethal, even the siljot bacteria in your beautiful hair would kill him if he got it in his nose and his mouth at the same time. They said it was lethal. They didn't say at what term it was going to be lethal. That's fair. Which is something that I will be bringing back up again yeah. towards the end of this episode. But <laughs> it's another like subversion of the trope when someone goes, ah, ah, and then falls over. That doesn't mean they're dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to go CPR-scape again, as Crimson has named it, but yes, this is some great like first aid advice you you can just never assume someone's dead, yeah. certainly in Farscape. But so I like that in the meantime, uh, uh, Ricky Manning like constructed it to like heap up extra new like peril. Right. And one of them is like Scorpius is still there. Scorpius is actually in danger. Yes. And Harvey is still there. Yes. John goes back to the uh, jetty out in the water where Harvey is still around. And Harvey is also kind of like, well, Miffed. well, Bugger that. It's yeah. like, I'm still here. Frell this, I should say. This is intolerable for both of us. End it, John. Free us from one another. Scorpius has beaten you. Aaron's son is dead. Your power of speech is gone. The only one you'll ever talk to again is me. Is that how you want to live? Because, yeah, even though the chip's gone, Harvey is still there. Some some sort of neural bleed over. And he considers it intolerable. And he says, well, Crichton, yeah. you're just going to have to die. It's going to it's you or me. Yeah. It's not like even he's going to try and take over. He's just like, yeah, no, uh, I'm just, you're going to have to die because I can't live like this. Which is an interesting viewpoint to have for some sort of construct which is designed to fret out information. I guess he's reached the end of his programming and now it's just like, okay, time to go. Yeah, not having a purpose must be torture. Sort of like Mr. Meeseeks in uh, uh, that really oh. grim episode of uh, yes. uh, Rick and Morty. Yeah, that one. The one grim episode of Rick and Morty. Yeah, they only did one, fortunately. Scorpius is interrupted. Sir! 
Officer Cobran, I ordered you to remain with the Marauder. Yes, sir. By a new hotshot. Lieutenant oh. Cobrin wanted yes. him, and you immediately sort of see Braca bristling at uh, the younger model. Oh, yes. Now that you mention it, really? I kind of got that, yes. Yeah, right. Oh, I was the special one. And then this, this hot shot like, interrupts Braca with more relevant information, talking about the, the command carrier that the battle was successful. <laughs> yes, but it'll take, but it took longer than we expected, so it'll be another five irons before they get here. And Scorpius is like, well, that's a bunch of dren. Now we're going to be stuck here, and we've got Talon circling, so we can't leave. And these people who are here still in the base might notice that we're here, because they're still operating under secrecy. Yep. Very much unscorpious, who tends to like to barge in and announce himself in a grand vision. But See, that's usually because he has overwhelming force with him. Yes. And this time, he could only fit as many troops as would fit into a marauder, which is apparently not enough to really, like, to feel safe against people no. who blew up a shadow depository. Yeah, so there's, I mean... We've seen, like, a, a squad from a Marauder, which was, like, six people. Five-man crew, highest level of training, success measured by body count. So I think it's a fair assumption that they uh, can hold, it can hold about that many people. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Back in uh, Season 1, uh, when the Marauder came aboard, there was, like, I think it was a squad of six people. And you... It happened twice, actually. Yeah, yeah, you had the PK like an Egyptian. Yes, uh, <laughs> I do remember you loved their call. Uh, oh no, I was the one who loved it. You were that's the one. right. That's right. That was how that the guy, how the guy liner. Oh yeah. <laughs> of all people, it's Rigel who discovers Crichton in despair and Tokot lying dying on the floor of his yes. surgery. He radios for help. Very good first aid. One of the first things that you should do when you see someone in, yeah, uh, in trouble, call for help, and then provides uh, a CPR, which was apparently discussed over the comms. I've done everything you told me. Turned on the bio-neutralizer, turned off the see-through skull machine. Enough Time. is enough. Which was apparently the most uncomfortable Matt Newton has ever been, because you have Tokot lying on the floor of this illuminated surgery, yeah. uh, and you have Rigel hovering over him, providing CPR, and then people sort of crowding around him. And a whole ass puppeteer had to just be somewhere. They couldn't cut a hole in the ground because then the lights would go out. Oh dear! Obviously, yeah. they couldn't cut a hole into uh, the diagnosis, so he had to sort of really contort himself. So I kind of noticed that. I think we talked about this before that Rigel breathes through his nose, and only. Uh, oh. Uh, see, I noticed that, like when he was giving CPR, he he had his face down all the way, like he was using his nose to breathe uh, into uh, Tokat's mouth. Wow. Oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't even seen that. So, uh, how, how are we going to lead into this? Grimshack okay. and Scorpius. Treaty of Mintaka 4. Yeah. We've got to sort of streamline it because we've got a lot of things going on. On Moya, yeah, let's start with that one. Dargo tells Chiana and Jothi to stay put, even though they want to help. We'll go with you. No, I need you to stay here with Moya. Scorpius's command carrier could arrive at any microt. If it does, I want you to starburst away immediately. <laughs> what I tell you. He's being his usual commanding self, trying to like tell people what to do, do it his way. And, yeah, and both of them are going immediately into teenage rebellion mode, going like, "Well, you can't tell me what to do, and you're not. Oh well, you are my dad. Well, in, in Chana's case, not my dad, but yeah, <laughs> you're not my dad slash daddy." Mm. <laughs> Which results in them hanging out in the kitchen. Yeah, and- I guess we'll go cook. Which yeah. makes sense. You know, like when you're upset, just go cook some food. It'll help. I mean, I can I can relate to that. I think a lot of us can. But too many cooks spoiled Spoil the, the brats. Ooh. Oh, well, no. I think the brats were already pretty spoiled here. But 
I don't think that that counts for Jothy, considering the life that he has had. Good point. But, well, I mean, there's, there's having been spoiled and being spoiled. There's a difference. He offers her some food, which she says she's not interested in. Come on, we'll put color in your cheek. Come on, we'll die of boredom. But we'll be well fed. And he uh, he hands it to her, feeds it to her. She bites at his finger. Yes, and he goes like, "What are you about?" And then like a little bit of tussle and a little bit of struggle, and then there's some off camera. Yeah, gro- I assume it's got some off camera mivon groping that's going on because they sure react both of them like that's what's going on. Yeah, it kind of it kind of slows down a little and it turns a little bit more grindy than restly. I do as I please. whatever you want and then it fades to black and that only means one thing Thing. on uh, (laughs) network television and then we see them later on like cleaning up and yes Rigel comes walking almost walks in on them I suppose just like he's just missed it and they're both trying to be so casual about it especially Tiana who's I mean, you're better than this. Well, it's, you've lied worse than this before. Uh, yeah. Well, it starts with them saying that, like, oh, if Dargo finds out, he's going to kill us. Yeah. Yes. And then Rigel comes in, and they go like, oh, for what? And it's like, oh, yes, we accidentally blew up the pot because we were trying to cook. He some was sort so of food. worried about that. Yes. Right. <gasps> Exploding crockery? No. He is easily uh, distracted, though, when he's given a big tray of food, which he will go consume somewhere else where there's no ex- danger of exploding crockery. <laughs> Very good. And phew, we got away with it. Yes. Uh, until at the at the very end, we see them serving that food that they've made to uh, to Dargo while mm. Rigel compliments them. Oh. All the time you two spent in here was ultimately productive. And Dargo... Uh, Goes completely over his head. Two excellent cooks. I couldn't be luckier. Pictures of, like, sugar plums and a, and a farm where he'll work all day and then come home to a great meal cooked by his son and his lover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Season of death. Uh, meanwhile, Grunschlick is being uh, talked to by Scorpius. He, uh, he says, well, you've got to wait until your command carrier is here. Oh, when I get here, let me speak to him. I'll, uh, I'll stall him, send him away, whatever you want. I'll just say whatever you want. And Scorpius says, yes, yes, in fact, you will. Stabs him in the neck with some sort of mental probe and uses the same uh, control device that he used to dive into John's brain to uh, puppeteer Grunchlick. Puppeteering on Farscape? Yeah. Unheard of. (laughs) I love the scene where he's kind of attuning himself to Grunchlick. Yes. And he's like moving around in hand. So I'm wondering how they shot that. I'd like, I, I can only suppose that behind the camera there was someone else standing who was doing the movements which they both mirrored were trying to mirror us to ah. the, the timing because yes um, the, the, there's there's absolutely no lag yeah there's no lag uh, like and if, Scorpius is clearly not looking at what Grunschlick is doing so yeah, I can only imagine good. that both of them were looking at a third person and mirroring them oh yeah that would be great then again I mean both Wayne Pygram and Hugh Keysburn they have like a legacy in theatre and film. Yeah. And I know that these kind of mirror scenes, they occur in some plays. I actually wrote one yeah. uh, for my uh, for the, the high school play for my last year. I, I wrote and directed that and I was very proud. And that also involved like a mirror scene of two actors playing the same character, meeting one another uh-huh. and having to sort of mirror one another. And that just takes like 
a bunch of rehearsals, yeah. right? You sort of work it out together, this many breaths, and then we're going to do that. I wonder if they took it as a point of pride. No, no, no. We're just going to we're just going to take twenty minutes in the trailer and and, and rehearse this. We're not, we don't need a clever person's board, as it's called. <laughs> but yeah, it's so so well done. Like lifting up his hand and wiggling his little uh, Sp- spreading his fingers. And, uh, yeah, it works really well. It's fantastically done. So the crew is meanwhile landed back on the planet, uh, rushes into the theater where Zahn takes over the CPR that Rigel has been performing. Reviving Tokot, who says, Scorpius! <coughs> Scorpius! Yes. And now we all know. Suddenly, like, the secrecy is uh, is gone. I think Darko calls up to Crace to let them know. Talon and I will adjust our robot for maximum scan. Hopefully catch the command carrier or any marauders. So they still don't know that there's a marauder. Uh, they don't know. Well, no. they only know that Scorpius has uh, has arrived here. So Although I think Crace uh, actually works that out. It's like, okay, so then they have to have arrived at a on a marauder. Fly. Ah, that's right. Does, yes. Does he mention flying a stealth profile or is that, uh, does that come from uh, no, Scorpius piece, uh, first? Mitaka yeah. 4, that's, yeah. that, that's correct. So he knows that the command carrier could never have arrived without him detecting it. So it must be either a prowler mm-hmm. or a marauder on a stealth trajectory. That's the only way that he could have arrived there without them noticing. I also finally figured out what I thought Grunchlick reminds me of. I don't know where oh. it's from, but he looks and acts like a roadie. Like someone <laughs> kind of sle- <laughs> sleazy, dope-smoking uh, oh, roadie. Oh, that is mean toward roadies, but I know what you're talking about. He's the kind of person who, like, who says yes to whatever, like, the managers, like, are demanding. And then just does whatever he needs to do or whatever he, gets he wants to do. a whole list of demands that he knows are not possible to meet, but he says, yes, anyway, we're going to do it. And then he figures out, like, which of those are actually going to get done because he knows which needs to be done. Which are actually important and, yeah. Right, just dial down the suck button and turn up the reverb. Like, he knows his environment. Zahn manages to uh, revive Tokat, pulls up another mask over his face. Uh, yes, Tokat is, uh, is he him. Yes. Uh, and that's him sorted. And then he lives a long and happy life. Yes. Until uh, one runs into a Scarron, but we'll get to that. Yeah, so we deal now with a Treaty of Mintaka 4. He's an, uh, or 3. Which one was it? Mintaka 3. Or was it 4? What, three? Four? Four. Yeah, I know, but Mentaka three sounds boring to me anyway. Well, now you have me uh, wondering about hey, that. Hey, yeah. it's the season it's, 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 it's season tre- three. It's the Mintaka so Treaty. We can even, like, God, like even Mintaka worse. the name of the uh, treaty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there is an ethical dilemma that is very serious to Stark. It was, uh, it was introduced at the end of the last season, yes. which is that... All of these donors, tissue donors that are being kept frozen, they aren't dead. They were frozen a microbes before, before death. Yes, before and death. none of them will survive being revived. And Stark considers this a horror. Like he can actually, it turns out, he can actually hear them, or at least he claims to. Their souls are crying out, screaming out in pain. No pain. I can hear them. <sighs> Effectively dead. That is a to the point that the donor that was going to be used to repair John's brain, Stark actually kills him. Oh, yeah, with a handy, like, kill shot that was just lying around because that's the one that Zan was going to use on John after sharing unity with John and finding that he was in terrible pain and that... Oh, yes. Yeah, I noticed that they moved away from the autopipettes and this looks to me like one of those little air pistols that you uh, attach to a compressor to blow air out of things, which has a little 
canister on the back and a little thing on the front, but it's like I think I've got one of those lying upstairs. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to overreact when I when I see you <laughs> rushing toward a sleeping person while uh, while holding it. Great monster die! Hold her! No! Stop! No! He wants to die! Be calm, be calm! We did skip over a fair bit because Grunschlick showed up, allowed himself to be found by by Dargo, I think it is, and while under the control of Scorpius, claimed that Scorpius had already left. Yes, he actually uh, Scorpius, who was puppeteering Grunschlick, shoots yeah. himself and shoots well Grunschlick shoots Grunschlick himself in the arm. Is that a way to? To parse that sentence, look, I'm with you, but I'm just going to support whatever whatever you do. And it's like it's a fantastic, creepy scene. Actually, he Scorpius flinches slightly yeah, when he when Grunchlick shoots himself in the arm. Yeah, but so who's feeling it? I think Scorpius a right? little bit. Because I mean, there's also I mean, the we scene get where- the same yeah the same scene later when basically. Scorpius threatens Grunschlick by, oh, you can use your mouth in two ways. You can say what I want you to imagination, say. imagination, Scorpy. Or you can just like, and then he just like makes Grunschlick bite off his own finger. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. But that's, and again, then, Scorpius doesn't seem to react too badly to that, but, and only after he relinquishes control again is when Grunschlick suddenly goes like, oh. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Ian Watson filmed that scene twice. Yeah. Uh, he mentions that the, someone sort of whispered into his ear, hey, 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 just cool it on the blood and whatever, because otherwise we get moved into a later time slot. And this is the season opener, so we don't want to get moved to it. No, uh, very good point. But he did film it a second time that was extra gruesome, that didn't get included, but it wound up looking like there was so much blood, it was like a Monty Python sketch. Oh, good dear. <laughs> I mean, okay, they yeah. have a good tradition of that down south. I mean, uh, Peter Jackson still, I believe, has the record for the greatest amount f- of fake blood used in any given... In a oh, was that in Bad Taste or... Th- uh, oh, no, it was... The, the Frighteners. I think it was The Frighteners. Both excellent. Well, yeah. in their own way, like <laughs> fantastic triumphs. <laughs> but, yes. I love that the aliens in, in, in Bad Taste have these sort of dumpy squashed heads because they were originally designed as having cone heads, but then they needed his mum's oven to, to to sort of set the silicone and, and it didn't fit, fit, so they had to sort of crumple it down <laughs> so it could fit in the oven. Yes. Stark, okay. who is still dressed like another Stark from a famous uh, TV series. What? John Stark. You know, the full, all the furs and everything. Who's Isn't John Stark? Stark? Oh wait! I'm oh, Ned Stark. Ned Stark. That's Ned Stark yes. from Game of Thrones. Yes. yes, he has a he has a furry pullover as well. Very he's, good. He's very much dressed like that. Stark, who has stopped Zan from fulfilling Crichton's request to die, instead like tells John to fight and tells him the chips out. Its tendrils are dead. The scorpion in your head is merely a remnant, a, 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 an impotent wraith buzzing in your ear. You are stronger than he is. Show him. So that I, th- I thought that's very interesting because we get that fight scene between Harvey and John. Yeah. Whereas in the first scene, when they're talking together on the dock, John very much doesn't touch him. At one point, mm-hmm. he, when he actually walks off and he kind of squeezes past him, arms raised, uh, stomach sucked in. Well, John, you mean? Yeah, John actually not touching Harvey. That's like in, in the first scene where we right. see them talking when he tro- when he wanders off. Yeah. So I thought that was a very interesting contrast after he gets told that, yeah, this thing has no control over you. He has no power over you. Go ahead. He has no power over you. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Because that's Harvey's thing. Like, he he just... He, Harvey actually knows he has no power. He's just yes. trying to convince John that he's still, still in charge. And so John, heavily abused and traumatized by Harvey, yeah, of course he doesn't want to touch him until he gets... I don't know, the a conf- shot of courage. Yeah, and I thought he was going to like kick him into the water, but he does give him a shove, but when he shoves him off the dock, he doesn't land in the water. He lands in a 
hangar, cargo bay. I'm not quite sure what it is. I didn't recognize. I think we've seen the set before, but I couldn't quite place it. I mean, it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's it's sort of demonstrating John's control over this space. Right, yeah. We've I got, can make us be wherever we want to be. We've got some big... Oh, I, th- I, th- I thought it just might have been a set that has been used in the past and had significance. There's some oh, big, okay. tall windows with bright lights shining through. Yes. Uh, and There's dumpsters. And I wouldn't call it a... F- construction yeah. material. I wouldn't call it a fight scene. It's just like Harvey it's getting beat one-sided. up. Basically. It is, yeah. Harvey gets beaten up. John actually around. picks him up, throws him into the dumpster. He scores. He he throws. He scores. <laughs> Can I have a hey yeah? Uh, or hell it? yeah! Hell yeah! Can I get a hell yeah? <laughs> and there's like actually literally a soundtrack of a crowd going nuts. Yeah, because it's his brain. Yeah, he can just imagine whatever. I guess that. I mean, that, to be honest, from what we've seen of John in the past, that's. Probably pretty much what goes on in his brain all the time anyway. <laughs> you think he's, he's running got, around just congratulating himself? He's, he's got his own laugh track He's for got his, his own private little soundtrack going on. Yeah, this seems to me, that seems totally in character for John. Oh, I love that. Like, Harvey is especially rubbish, even when he tries to threaten John. Like he, he's, he put, puts put his arm pugilist style, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's some kind of, like, 1920s strong man. Yes. Even when he's, like, slapped down on his back, he's sort of flailing around like a like an upside-down turtle. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah. Or an armadillo on his back. I mean, obviously, this is... Yeah, it, it looks like he can't get up. And John tosses him into the dumpsters, tosses down the lid, and sort of butt-stomps the lid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, a good little ass grind to it. Oh, wow. I have one failed G figure. Yes, I was just looking at that one. That's just the last three frames of him lying on his back and sort of butt wiggling. That is going to, oh, that is going to thrill the internet when this goes live. Gosh. Oh, so Scorpius, Bracca, Cobrin, and and Grunschlick are all in a room, and they hear Tokot over the radio, who's sort of mumbling about, oh, there's another automatic uh, defrosting. Yes. And Grunschlick, who's apparently under his own control again, tells Scorpius, no, I'll deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> now, you go back and tend your patient, Doc. I'll deal with it. Doc! And Tokos goes, just wanders over anyways, like a cat on a mission. You absolutely cannot stop them. Despite Grunchlick's very sincere attempts to keep Tokat away from this, and like, no, 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 don't don't worry about it. Don't go there. He like he escalates really, a little really, bit. Yeah. In his, first he tries to divert Tokot, then he tries to literally tell him, don't do it. He actually the, cares about Tokot, it seems. Care, uh, well, or at least he cares about the outcome Meal of the ticket, encounter yeah. that is going to go. I'll handle it. Doc! Because Tokot opens another one of these pods, and out comes a Scarron hand, which immediately does its heat ray, scorching and burning Tokot, and I believe this is time it is actually the end of Tokot. I mean, you never quite know, but you do see, like, they actually did, like, these cool sort of blisters that inflate on his head, and he's, uh, he's proper burned. Uh, Dave Elsie had some fun with that. Both of these characters, by the way, were portrayed by the same person. Oh, Thomas Holgrove. You mentioned that he'd been in a Scarron suit before. And Shi Yang. And then he was both the Scarron and the Diagnosen and killed himself. Does this count as suicide? Ooh. Well, you know, actors. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was the Diagnosen in the morning and the Scarron in the afternoon. And yeah, he, it involved killing himself. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, Plonek. Plonek! I like how every time we see a Scarron, they're a little bit different. So this is the first time we see an army Scarron. Once again, with that sort of Cenobite kind of outfit with exposed nipples. I don't know why they do that. Yeah. 
Okay, exposed, kind of, a, exposed abs, exposed nipples. That's an asymmetrical 29-pack he's got there. Yeah. Uh, Deep who, cut for our listeners. Who turns out to have been uh, in stasis there for quite a while, because Grunschlick, yeah. uh, as is informed Scorpius, that... Uh, Oh, this is going to be this is going to take a little bit. The Scarens are interested in Scorpius, and they found out that he got his cooling surgery here at this medical facility. Yes, they put a Scaren into stasis here just for in case Scorpius ever decided to show up for a checkup or something like that. Sort of like how how Scorpius bribed Grunschlick, like if Moya shows up, then give us a call. Right, right? So and this is the- kind of what happened. And Scorpius immediately go, tries to like accuse Grunschlick with this, and Grunschlick says like, "Well, you know, if you just like, it's, it's a very similar scene to the uh, scene with Baraka in the beginning. Ooh, was like, yeah. if you had, if you weren't chasing me, I wouldn't be running away. And in this case, he set himself a bit of a dead man switch on this uh, stasis pot that the Scarens in. He told him to like start uh, defrosting him in three hours." And if Scorpius had kept his side of the bargain and just paid up and left, then he would have just like turned it off again and the Scarn would have never uh, left the stasis. He would never have even yep. known that Scorpius was here. But in it, fact, Grunchlick was going to sell the Scarn to Scorpius. Yeah. Right? That would have at been least a- he, At least he says he would. Uh, I mean, you never know with Grunchlick. He's like, he's, play, he's playing he's whatever side so he's good. He's got like multiple options. And in fact, I do honestly believe that he might have actually done that to to Scorpius, but yeah. he's, more, he's just as happy to... Like, whatever makes him money, man. Yeah, whatever works out best for him. Exactly. Yep. And I think that Scorpius even kind of... I mean, he doesn't respect Grunschlick, but he isn't offended by this. No, because like, he sees... That's like, a decent plan. Yeah. It makes uh, uh, it makes sense for someone to do that. This is where we get the finger-biting scene. Yes, because uh, at first, Scorpius doesn't know that there's a scarring about, but that's what he learns when he uh, informs Grunchlick that I can have you eat all your little piggies. Yes. So a newly motivated Grunchlick goes to meet the uh, the Scarron. Greet him by name, Plonek. Plonek! I like Scarron names. Erothwan Plonek! Like they've got these the sort of elegant complexity to it. Like previously we had Sastaretsky Kargan. You know Sastaretsky Kargan, the Scarron emissary. Uh, and I don't think we ever learned the name of the one that interrogated John in uh, uh-huh. uh, Won't Get Fooled Again. But this one is Irathman Plonek and tries to get him off Scorpius's case by saying, uh, Scorpius is gone, but I've got something just as valuable for you. Do you know John Crichton? Yeah. Yes. Scorpius seems obsessed with him. We want to know why. Why don't you ask him? Apparently, like, Plonek was stationed after the Scarrens became aware. Yeah. yeah. Curious timing. Not exactly sure why that uh, that yeah. came about. Plonek, like a good spy, tries to uh, authenticate the information by heat torturing Grunschlick, but Grunschlick is being puppeteered by uh, Scorpius, so he kind of manages to hold out and uh, keep the information uh, from Plonek. Where is Scorpius? Scorpius isn't here. Scorpius isn't here. I told you. Who puts Grunschlick on ice? Yep. Freezes him in one of the pods. Now, Cobrin has another opportunity to come in all cocky-like, and he suggests, well, I can get us out of here. I'm uh, we'll fly a stealth trajectory. I can outrun them. It'll be fine. Sir, the carrier is now much closer. I am certain we can outrun the gunship long enough to reach it safely. You have that much faith in your piloting skills. My last rating was 991, sir. No active pilot rates higher. And Bracket is just fuming. Mm. <laughs> Scorpius is like, oh, we can make use of that. You, you might be, get your opportunity to prove your piloting skills. He is eye-frelling that young pilot. 
in a way. Now, the arc about donors being frozen just before death comes to a head because that, it turns out, has been done to Aaron. Yes. Stark, look at these indicators. The cryosystem's activated to preserve the body until burial. But that's not all. The cellular maintenance functions are still operating, keeping her body alive. Why? Unless Grunschlick was intending to keep her here as a donor. I wouldn't put it past him. Aaron, who's been Aaron sickle this whole time, sitting may, in her coffin. It kind of makes sense, you know, if, especially when people get frozen in, in, in right. cold. Uh, you know what they say. It's like, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. It's like, you know, if someone... Oh, wow. Is, they say that? Yes. I mean, generally speaking, if you have someone who is apparently dead from hypothermia, right. then it's like, okay, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. It's like they go back into... It's a really grim thing. I mean, I kind of get what it is, yeah. but like you, you warm them up. And you I mean, okay, if they're, if they're a block of ice, then clearly they're dead. But, you know, if you find... If, if someone is, like, with hypothermia and it looks like they're dead and they're, like, you know... Like, and you can't detect breath. Yeah, exactly. They're not necessarily breathing, but uh, they're not, like, you know, below room temperature. I mean, you're, not, right. you're never, never going to go below room temperature unless there's some active cooling involved, but... Yeah, yeah, you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Okay, fun. <laughs> Actually, we've kind of glossed over the part where John gets his speech reinstated. Oh, yes, that's right. I mean, a you lot of stuff you, happened yeah, there. You yeah. mentioned it when uh, Stark uh, uh, shoots the guy with the... Uh, the kill shot, essentially. Yeah, the, uh, the euthanasia gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is. And he yeah. uh, later tells John that... That was mercy. His agony was far greater than yours. It's like he was like caught in that horrible void between life and death. His uh, torment soul, was worse than soul yours. unable to uh, unable to get on. And the doctor, before they he gets killed, obviously uses that uh, donor fluid, brain fluid, to uh, reactivate John's speech centers. Actually, a chunk of brain. Is the it? the brain oh. fluid had been used previously just as a, as a top-up, but they still right. needed a chunk of brain oh, okay. yeah. from this, uh, this species called Interion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep calling them Interion. It's actually spelled Interion. Yeah. I guess it's just a pronunciation thing. Yeah, like alumi- aluminum, aluminium. Okay, I'm not going to relitigate that necessarily, but <laughs> I'm of the camp that the person who discovered no, who, I who isolated it called it aluminum. And even though that's stupid because everything else is an eum, when you discover something, you, you get, get to name, name it, it whatever the frell you want. <laughs> because one day it'll be our turn. One day, hey, we'll discover like a planet or an element or whatever. And then everyone is going to have to put up with whatever bulldren we come up with. Fair point. I'm saving myself a lot of editing by finally getting... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stark tries to listen for Eren's soul in there, but she, he can't hear her, and so she must be so deep that retrieving her would be impossible. And Zan says... Yes, you're probably right. And then cold cocks him. <laughs> Knocks him out and goes like, oh, I'm going to do it anyway. She lifts his mask uh, because she needs his his help, lets out a little bit of energy that shines on the uh, on the casket, lays her hands on it, and, and mind melds with joins so with. Uh, yes, no, it's interesting because it seems to be a two phase thing. The first phase is arriving at Aaron, who seems to still be sitting in her uh, ejection sheet. Yeah, yeah, looking radiant. Do you know who you are, Officer Aaron Sun? Special Peacekeeper Commando, Icarian Company, Pelizar Regiment. Have you come to reassign me? I have come to take you back. She looks like a like she's doing an 80s music video. I'm walking in Well, she's kind of passed out, and it's only when uh, Zahn approaches is, 
Moonlit Sky. Uh, it's more like Moonlight Shadow from... Uh, uh, and the Moonlight Shadow. That's the one. Let's not do that one. Was that Limal? No, it was... Oh, come on, the same guy who did Amarok. Uh, Getting farther away Tubular from Bells. I can help. Uh, oh, uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. No, the English one. Uh, Tubular Bells was Jean-Michel Jarre, No, wasn't it wasn't. It? Oh, uh, no. Oldfield? Mike, Mike Oldfield. Oldfield. Yes, there we go. You. Hey, high five. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult with all these microphones yes, in the way. It is. Uh, um, yes, yes, and here and here, Erin seems to be in sort of limbo where she identifies herself and asks, "Have you come to reassign me?" And that's when uh, Zan initiates. Mind well, uh, Zan unity. first asks, "Like, do you know who I am?" And she gets like almost no response. No. And then, do you know who you are? And then she does her like standard military uh, little thing where she just like lists right. off her name, company, and regiment. And then she does uh, the mind melt and or the unity. Which yeah. we get the same, like, two heads looking at a different sides thing that we saw with her and John before. Where we see the same thing with the two heads looking different ways that she did with John in the a past. beautiful effect. It's such a it is. simple but elegant way to show that they're gradually sharing thoughts. And Aaron sort of gradually realizes more and more what's happening. Uh, uh, Zahn begs her not to resist. But Zahn says, like, I can pull you back. And Aaron goes, like, no, I can't let you do that because I know what it will cost you. Yeah, and Zan does it anyway. Pushes her away. Zan falls to the ground. We haven't even mentioned that. Oh no, she doesn't have a new outfit. She's worn this cowl before. Yeah, yeah. I think. We've seen her in that before. And then Zan's on the ground, and she's being uh, Get uh, knocked gun- out by one of the uh, troops. One of the peacekeeper commandos. The other one has uh, Stark under fire. They uh, uh, they call for orders, and Braca relays Scorpius's will without having to be told. Yeah, he's, he's being very. Yeah, a very uh, good little student. Kill, Kill the, Delvian. the Delvian. Keep the Bannock. Because, I mean, Scorpius had been looking for a new Bannock slave. He wants his toy back. Yes. But they don't get to uh, to perform his orders because the casket bursts open and Eren, who was buried with Dargo's Qualter Blade. Yes, I guess it was a Chekhov's Qualter Blade that we've had. <laughs> <laughs> Blasts them and walks out far more collected after death than we've yeah, seen. Yeah, she uh, seems to be like, no side effects. So, so there's an interesting bit about here. uh, There's a discussion between Zahn and Stark a little bit earlier on Mm. when they're talking about that she is dead. And Zahn mentions, like, well, she was beyond the the healer's ability to bring back. Ah, yes. Not necessarily mine, which kind of, like, falls into line with the dying of cold and explosion. Explosion, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, Because it's like there's nothing necessarily physically wrong with you at that point. Which is like the which could the healer oh, like yeah. more of a like soul departing the the body type thing that we're uh, talking about here. I don't know. I mean, when when there's freezing, like your cells are full of water. When water freezes, it expands. That can rupture the cell right. walls. You know, that's. But that only happens if you like go into actual freezing. If you, if you start dropping below four C. If you follow, yeah. yeah. Uh, as long as, as long as that doesn't start happening, I mean, physiologically, you're fine. And maybe uh, sebations are. Better suited for I mean, dealing we, with heat. We know they don't deal with heat very well, so they might uh, deal yeah. with cold very well, better. Yeah, not so Scarens. No, we know, definitely see that Scarens can't get it up when it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us deal with that because, meanwhile, a John who has recovered from brain surgery and Dargo, they try to leave just as the Scaren busts into the surgery. Where the hell did that come from? A Scaren. We had no weapons, so I suggest a tactical retreat. They slam the door and try to find an exit because Dargo, 
doesn't have a weapon anymore. No, because he brought his quarter blade, but it's like with Aaron. Yeah, so uh, he suggests a tactical retreat, opens the door and yells, Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Because he hates the cold. Yes, because like apparently the surgery has an emergency exit outside. Like uh, all good surgeries do. Like They have to be clean rooms with just an open door to the outside. John offers uh, Dargo the choice... Uh, Cold or heat, freeze or fry. And yeah, because the the Scarron is using his heat ray to sort of weld through the seal yes, of the he's door. Trying to laser lightsaber his way through the door. <laughs> so Dargo actually has to think about that for a second, then he goes like oh, freeze. It's like, all right. And then when they're out there, John asks Dargo, okay, so what's the plan? And Dargo says, We're gonna bring him out here and see how he likes being in the cold. And John says, And what if he likes it? Look! One plan at a time. (laughs) Okay, no, fine. I've got nothing better. Fine. I love this. I have used this line so many times when someone undermines my plans with the obvious flaw. Like, just, who says there's going to be a strong wind, guys? And uh, he's right, because the uh, the Scarron doesn't like the cold. No. He can't use his heat weapon, but John and Dargo can't escape either. They're trying to get through this other door, which is frozen shut. Yeah. Oh, come on. Dargo tries to stab him, actually breaks his knife on the uh, Scarron's abs. Yeah, it's so much like, for the Briss knife. Yeah. Well, that's not the Briss knife. Isn't it? No, it's a different one. Oh, yes, that's just his pocket knife that yeah, he always yeah. had. Oh, that's the one that uh, John borrowed to, to cut a lock off uh, Aaron's hair. I think it is, yes. Meanwhile, it seems that uh, Scorpius is making his escape uh, aboard the Marauder. Yeah. And immediately getting pounced upon by Crace and Talon. Yes, Talon. I see it. That is a vessel leaving the planet. No. A transport pod would not be attempting a stealth trajectory. Pursue. It's so, so cool because, like, Crace and Talon, they're both still reeling with Eren's death. Yes. And this, this prospect of Scorpius going behind them, there's such a cool attitude when, when uh, Crace is standing there, pursue. Yeah, go get him, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and we can see that Cobran, like, his cockiness is justified. He oh, flies he's a, well. He's a good pilot. He's like, flies through some random asteroids, which he managed to uh, uh, make appear. And once they're past the uh, the asteroid, the command carrier comes into view. It's yeah. just arrived, and he's, uh, he's making a beeline toward the command carrier, which is opening fire, like, trusting, hopefully, Cobran to dodge their fire while uh, 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 taming Talon. Grace, you destroy this ship. My command carrier will destroy you. Possibly. And there's a moment where, like, Grace checks with Talon and asks, are we in agreement? Yes. Fire! And they blast him out of the out of the sky and fly through the superstructure of the command carrier. Yeah. At this point, I was, like, thinking, like, when the thing gets blown up, there was just, like, this quick blue flash across the uh, screen, which I think it was, like, turns out to be nothing. Yes, it might be the cesium fuel igniting. Yeah, okay, so I thought that was going to be a thing. Oh. So here, in in, 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 in this sheaf, you can see there's, like, there's one blue little thing which looks like it could be a pod or something like that. Ah, like Uh, so. Yes, okay, yeah. Turns out it was like an entirely different ploy. Oh, wait, no, I see what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of the engine exhausts. The engine exhausts are are, are blue, so it must be one that's still just firing with whatever whatever fuel remained in it. Pilot, Scorpius is dead. Moya confirms that the Marauder has been blown up. 
Yes. And Chris uh, announces the end of Scorpius. Officer Sun is avenged. We have come a very long way since uh, uh, since Chris was an enemy, and while there is much still between them that hasn't been forgiven, this is one area where like Talon and Chris felt the loss of Officer Sun just as severely as yes. anybody there did. And I think that there's a real like there's a real connection there. Even Pilot, kind, gentle Pilot, probably appreciates the revenge. Yes. I mean, Pilot was clearly the person who was closest to Aaron, uh, other than John, maybe, but because they had their yeah. uh, genetic connection. They were family. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but of all of them, Pilot is the closest family that, uh, that Aaron had. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the planet, more blasting has happened because Aaron had showed up uh, with the Qualter Blade and blown the Scarron out of the water. Well, not quite. Like, did him yeah. some damage, destroyed, did some remarkably good accurate shooting because like, there was like four holes in his abs, like right close together. I mean, that's some nice good grouping. marksmanship, yeah. Certainly on a moving target. But that's not enough. However, John breaks off an icicle and sticks it right into the wound that's been opened up by Aaron's shooting. And yeah. Scarrons don't do too well with the big block of ice stuck right into their stomach. Oh, do you apparently. think that's it? Yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, there's also, like, I wouldn't do too well with a big block of anything stabbed into my no, stomach. No, but, but, like, it seems weird that, you know, getting shot four times in more or less the same spot with a quarter blade uh, is not going to do the trick, and then suddenly getting stabbed in that same area does. Yeah, true. I mean, I got the impression that it was the ice that did the trick. Yeah, there is an awful lot of steam. He uh, yeah. uh, he keels over, and he is D.E.D. dead. And... Dargo sees Aaron first. I mean, it's, it's, it's really well done. Like, they've got all this snow flying around. This was apparently a nightmare to film because, yeah, uh, like, fake snow. Fake snow is tricky. Mm-hmm. It's got to look just right. So they wind up with, like, either soap flakes or chopped up bits of, like, supermarket bin bag. Oh, great. Neither of which were great to get blasted in your face no. all day long. Hynerian cream soap, definitely. But Crichton, at first, doesn't even believe that Aaron's there. Yeah. He says, you're dead. He thinks he's just being forced to imagine something again until she, like, asserts that she's there. Oh, no, you're gone. It's me, John. No, it can't be you. you... She's some kind of mind <sighs> trick. She died. Zan brought me back. She did a unity thing. Sam. Sam. He makes this noise. <laughs> And you almost think he's, like, lost his speech again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's saying you're alive, but it's so garbled. He's so desperate and passionate and just, and just clings to her and clings to her so tight. <sighs> yeah. Oh. But turns out that Scorpius isn't dead. Clearly, Officer Cobra overestimated his piloting skills. Because he was yeah. not on board the Marauder. He did a little bait and switch. Yes. He's still got the little uh, memory chip. And uh, a brand new Gamak base with hundreds of techs waiting so. to get yep. started. And they're just like like laying low. Grunchlik is still frozen. Tokot uh, is dead. Tokot is dead. Uh, and they're just waiting for the crew of Moya to depart. They depart in sort of comfort and, and style. Like at this point, I don't know if Kreis knows that Eren's alive. Like he must have starburst immediately after destroying oh, the, uh, yes. the Marauder. Yeah. Because there's a mention that they starbursted out and they uh, and, and Moya confirmed that the Marauder was uh, dead. That kind of leaves me wondering about the 
command carrier. Wouldn't like the command carrier start to pursue Moya at this point? Oh, I think that was the thing that Kreis said, that he's going to draw the command carrier away. Oh, yeah, that give makes them sense. a chance to escape. That they were more, uh, more of an interesting target than Moya. I mean, as uh, far as anyone knew, they had just destroyed Scorpius. Yeah. Because for this ruse to work, Scorpius would probably have informed the command carrier that he was on the Marauder as well. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah right? I mean, I mean always assume that your channels are compromised. Right, and also the communication was clearly sounding like it was coming from the Marauder. Bracca was so pleased with himself when uh, when Scorpius said, oh, apparently Officer Cobrin overestimated his piloting abilities. <laughs> yeah. yeah see, Bracca's like, no, oh, well, I knew that all. I knew that. He was <laughs> rubbish. I'm still the best one. I'm the best boy. <laughs> Aaron and John finally get there proper scene we get a, yeah. a bit of a recap of the uh, the affectionate scene that we had in Daimi Dichotomy except this time John is actually in command of his own senses yes I love you I love you too he actually says that he loves her he hears her say it they they kiss it gets very heated and, and then, then we find out what's been Aronson's problem the entire time where it's her peacekeeper training that will not allow her to pursue a relationship. We will not act on it. Parents. My peacekeeper training was right about one thing. Soldiers and emotional attachments. In battle, they distort your thinking. We're not in battle, Aaron. So I, I think it's not necessarily won't allow, but like she's allowed herself to, to sort of step past her training. Mm-hmm. But recent experience has shown her why those rules exist. And specifically, she blames herself for the consequences of her resurrection. Okay, this is where John finds out the price of her resurrection, which is that Zan is going to die. Yes. Zan has given up her life in exchange for for Aaron's. Yeah. And Aaron realizes that this is a consequence because of her feeling her feelings for John. Yes, because Zan kind of mentioned this when they're sharing unity about that, because she shared unity with uh, yeah. John as well that she now knows how they feel for each other, I suppose. And she is, like, giving up her own life in order to make that possible. Why are you doing this? Because Because I love you. More importantly, Gretchen loves you. Which seems then kind of weird for Aaron to reject that. Aaron says, I will not be the cause of any more deaths because my judgment was faulty. I will not permit anyone else to sacrifice their life for mine. Because right. of a lack of my judgment yeah. or for whatever. So even though they, they clearly do love each other, she says that they can't act on it because... But that seems like throwing away Zan's sacrifice to me. She doesn't want anybody to make... I mean, I, I'm with yeah. you, right? Of course, but like, Erin, at least what she's saying, she doesn't want this to happen again. Yeah. She's got her life back, and so does John, but she still blames herself and doesn't want it to happen again. Oh, but it's, the, it's part of the yeah. sort of... Estrella novella melodrama. You can't just... Like, Lois and Clark really tanked once they were together and sort of happy. And so, we know, oh, I mean... Yeah, we can't have that. Exactly. Yeah. They've always got to be, will they or won't they? I almost said willies or woodies. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, like, a little bit of a, a drawn-out moment where Zahn is, like, in uh, Stark's arms, who's oh, just, like, in the a- previous uh, episode, kind of proposed to her to, like, share their lives together, uh, more or less. He's nursing her while she's yeah. lying back. It looks very sort of like a, a, a Victorian painting of a... It is, yeah. And a, a lady in repose. So it, it, I'm going to say that this is going to be another one of those like drawn-out things. Like it's being 
it's, three it's, digit bets. Nothing shorter than the three okay. digit bet. You know, you've three you've digits. Cooked, yeah. All right. Okay. Well. Okay. I'll put one hundred and fifty down on the fact that this uh, Zahn's dying isn't going to turn out to be such an uh, acute thing as it's made out to be here now. She'll. It'll probably be like a. So, are you saying that she won't die immediately? Yes. What are you? What, okay. what are you saying? It's going to be something testable. No, I get that. Is, is what okay. I'm looking so, for. Because I'm with you. It's a good it, one. Yeah, it's going to. Okay, so it's going to turn out that it's going to be like well. she. Is, she is now dying, but it is going to be a drawn out wasting process rather than a. I'm going to be dead in like three or four days. I will accept that. Yeah. Do you want anything more? Oh, um, what else do you see? Uh, right. Do you see sort of happening? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put another hundred on top of that. That is going to involve a quest. Oh, come on! And like I'm, I'm stacking these things here now. <laughs> like that, there's there's going to be some sort of find the Delvian to see what we can do about this problem. Ah, the the search for a solution. Yeah, search for a solution is going okay. to involve is going to be like find the Delvians. Accepted, John and Aaron. John and Aaron. Well, I think we just covered that. It's like you know they're going to be still pining for each other and it's going to be like will they what's your what, bet what what's your bet like how are you gonna like, oh, what what's, are they, what's yeah. my bet there's going to be more sexual tension and more like erin keeping herself away from giving in to him yeah for these reasons but there's no, like there's, there's no big, fair. this is going to be a recurring thing i can't really put a unless i'm going to say they're not going to kiss within a few episodes but that's right. not a fun bet so okay let me let yeah. me ask this to you another way because we have a whole season ahead of us yeah. right so these are the stakes and the the conflict that's been set up early mm-hmm. in this in this in the season we know how seasons work we know yeah. how uh, how they develop how they're always working towards something so Let's talk about something that you're looking forward to seeing, or that you're sort of anticipating. You don't necessarily have to put money on it. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. But, like, what's a thing that you'd like to see that you're... Right okay. for, for Aaron and John or for, for whoever else? Okay, let me think. So, okay, Scorpius has the brain thing. So he can, like, get work, start working on his gamak base on extracting the information from that. Meanwhile... Trace is off and running. He doesn't know that Aaron's alive yet. So I think, it, like, first of all, we're going to go into a, a story arc, which is save Zahn. Because we've, we've clearly... Uh, yeah, yeah. We've clearly exchanged Aaron's death and John's uh, mental incapacitation for Zahn is dying. Yep. So we've resolved the previous ones, and now we have the new tension arc uh, brought in. It's like, you know, Sherazade in her thousand tales, uh, end every evening on a uh, cliffhanger. Oh. Uh, uh, so that people keep... <laughs> so that she will have to be granted another night's li- day's life to, to continue the tale the next day. Until her 1,001st night, where she yeah. tells the tale of Sherazade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As for other predictions for season three, so we have uh, one more thing that uh, happened on the uh, planet is that oh, yeah. uh, the possible donors, the Interons, got brought back with them to Moya. That's right. So, okay, yeah. so that I'll, I'll put land some money. I'm not going to put a three-figure bet on that because, ah, Frelit. That's I'll, it. I'll put, a three, I'll put a, another hundred Farscape fun bucks on that. That's uh, my boy. So either it's going to be a plot element or they're going to be in addition to the cast. How do you mean? What, what do you mean as a plot? I mean, what do you imagine? Suddenly, I mean, they have some two frozen bodies of in, in Tyrons. One's mm-hmm. supposedly already dead, I think, because that's the one that got sacrificed to get Ben. Uh, yes, sorry, there were sorry, three. John. Yeah. There were three, right. and one of them was euthanized, was right. like, mercy yeah. killed, essentially, by And I guess uh, they Stark. left that one, and they took the other two back uh, with them back to Moria. Yes, there's, there's, there's now two in Tyron sickles. So, so we're going to see those eh, next episode. I Next mean, that's going to, yeah, All I don't right. think they're going to put those on ice for that long. Uh, <laughs> they're already on ice. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there's that. Like, and they, they might even be like, I'm wondering if they're going to like make any additions to the cast. It doesn't seem like a way to do that. So I'll just. Okay. Think that, I think. That, I mean, in my notes, I said like, are there plot or are they new cast? But I think they're just going to be plot. And other than that, oh no. I mean, Chris is obviously going to come back again. You're putting money on that? Of course, he's going to come back. That's not a bet. You know. Okay. Of, okay. No, I respect that. Of course, of course, Chris is going to come back with talent. That's like they're established characters. Like they're not going to not use them. Okay. You know what? This is so fair actually like the bets are, are going to get harder because yeah. certainly like this far into the show we have an idea of like the rhythm and melody and structure of the of these stories the kind yeah. of dramatic arcs that they take and also the relationship between fan wishes which is what yeah. we have and how those are are satisfied and like are not yeah for or instance like, yeah, yeah throw them some crumbs but like uh, uh, take take away the rest of the loaf so it may be that these kind of bets are not really a good way for for you to like earn your primacy as mm-hmm. a as a Farscape fan because what seems to make sense is so obvious maybe that uh, that is not worth betting on and yeah. uh, then you'd be forced to like make make crazy bets that even you don't really believe in. Right. So I have an alternative suggestion. And remember how last time during the uh, uh, season two wrap-up, we had the sort of fake ceremony where I handed you a printout yeah. of the book that hadn't arrived yet? Oh, my. It has actually arrived now. Oh, dear. Oh, this looks fantastic. On behalf of our uh, supporters on Patreon, I've spent the leftovers of their contributions on the Farscape role-playing Playing book, game. Oh. which I have not opened it's, it looks fantastic. So it's it's kind of like mostly blue with Ben Browder and Claudia Black in orange uh, print on the front side. John wearing his peacekeeper uh, uh, jacket outfit. Erin yep. carrying her uh, BFG. A big frelling gun. gun. That's right. Yes. <laughs> there, oh, this looks this looks absolutely gorgeous. I'm like oh, and on the back we've got a full cast a shot. No Scorpius though. Oh that's, yes, yeah. That's no, the uh, on the back we have the promo photo for season two, right? But which, Cra- but Chris is on that, which I kind of like that they kind of introduce him. It's like uh, I suppose yeah. it's a bit of a foreshadowing that he's uh, going to be not the villain anymore. It's a nice way to include Lani Tupu because Pilot is such an important part yes, of the uh, I guess so. uh, of the show. I guess so, right? I mean, he finally got added to the the cast in the opening credits. Oh, look at this, like. Okay, great <laughs> podcasting. Yeah. Scorpius in full uh, show with a gun, which is actually quite unusual for Scorpius as well. Yeah, I think oh, we've I'm... seen it once before. All right, so... Okay, so I'm, I'm just like quickly uh, browsing through this yeah. and I love that. I, I just opened the page of Zahn and I love the fact that they have her, uh, a shot of her when she's like in the shadow depository. Pirate Zahn. Pirate Zahn. Pirate yes. yes. Oh, that looks amazing. I love that they picked that sh- uh, shot for this show. <laughs> So what I was going to suggest is I know that this book, besides having a, a sort of a D20 expansion role-playing game for Farscape, yeah. also has a lot of primers for, like it has episode descriptions for season one and two. Yeah. It has lots of like details about these species and their and their traits and whatever. And I thought that maybe it might be fun. Have a read through yeah. and see if you can stump me. Okay. On some trivia, on a on a on a piece on an episode okay. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, right? I will definitely do that. That sounds fantastic. I mean, we have the chapter 4 uncharted territories. Oh, see. <laughs> I'm fairly sure that there's going to be some pearls of information in here which will be uh very exciting to talk about. This will be the first time that that you have new Farscape knowledge to uh, to impart and to challenge me with. Thank you to you and thank you to all our Patreon subscribers who've made this possible. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
She gives me a Woody. She gives you the willies. Willies and Woodies. Oh, there's so much to choose from. Yes. Oh. Like, Willie, probably the finger-biting scene. Oh, yeah, I can see how that would give you seriously give you the Willies. Yeah, right? It's, oh, my Woody is really, really difficult. I mean, Erin comes back from the dead with great hair. Really, yeah. oh, really great got, hair. Like, yeah, That's, fans blowing all over the place. It's amazing. In the, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine's going to go to Darko, who in Farscape Undressed was called E.T., Extra yes, tentacles. tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's having the most fun. Like, his response to the cold, whoa. Yeah. One plan at a time, yeah. Dargo is my MVP this episode. How about yourself? Willies and Woodies. My Willie will have to go to the uh, the, the poor treatment of the doctor, uh, Tokat. Like, poor Tokat. Tokat really gets the short end of the stick. Like, gets for, brought back to life and killed, killed again. Killed again, yeah. So... I mean, not particularly willy worthy, but uh, yeah. I mean, well, the, yeah, the way they got burnt uh, is kind of like, yeah, oh, it's gruesome. Yeah, especially someone who's so kind and benevolent and sweet. And my Woody will probably go to the almost the opening scene, uh, like the very, oh. the, the, the very exasperated and snippy getting pilot <laughs> because I I love it when pilot gets tetchy. It's like. <laughs> That's just like, oh. <laughs> when I know something, you'll know it. Until then, leave me alone. Is he always like that? He's always so composed and kind. And like when he get, when he starts getting snippy, then you know that he's being like pushed. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. Actually, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe my Woody should go to, uh, uh, to Lani Tupu in general because he, oh. does, he does snippy pilot and he also does enraged, vengeful... Uh, a Crace, noble craze. Yeah. It's an interesting point because we kind of get to see a little bit of that same anger toward, that he had towards John in the uh, season one, but now it gets focused Ooh. on something else and without the mental derangement. And now we get to see the full force of that when it's actually being focused rather than being uh, oh, true. St- steered by strong emotions. And also a- another scene where Crace is talking to Pilot and you've got Lani Tupu, Leviathan, splaining to <laughs> <Yeah>. himself. <laughs> I like that word, Levi. <laughs> Thank you. See, I knew you'd come around to it. I just have to repeat it a few times. Although, wait, no, no, no. I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind. It's Lieutenant Cobrin and Bracca. Ah, and the, yes. They're like, little snippy, uh, like, Daddy Senpai loves me more. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's like the boy toy who sees someone in an even skimpier Speedo. I didn't know they made half Speedos. <laughs> Walking up and, oh no, what am I going to do? Now I've got to put on my push-up bra. Quarter speedo ahead, Captain. (laughs) You fucking, you piece of garbage. (laughs) And that's the story so far, Scape. Please join us in two weeks' time with episode 302, Sons and Lovers. I love that. It could be <laughs> Sons and Lovers, or it says Sons as in Sons, because Aaron, Sons and Lovers, I suppose. Yeah, it's with a U. That's yeah, what sons, you're trying to sons say. And because lovers, there's, yeah. there's also the, like. It, sons and Lovers, son, but it's also be Sons and Lovers, which we have like Jothi and Chana. And, <gasps> oh, so it could I, be I, whatever. I love that title. That's fantastic. In which, it's also an Australian soap opera, you know? Oh, sons and Lovers. I did not know that. Okay, well, fair enough. Sorry. In which, yep. <laughs> in which, Religious zealots with a magnetic personality have our heroes taking a vent walk in which a release of fluids is tabled but not taken up. Thanks to Sarah, Sarah for that one. Like, Okay, that one has me stumped. But, I mean, uh, <laughs> religious zealots, that might be... Uh, 
That might be some Delvian priests again, but... Oh, well, it should be interesting. I mean, it was written by uh, by Justin Monjo, who's uh, written a lot of our favourites so far. So that'll be in two weeks. Next week, we'll have another fun Farscape fanfic for you. If you want to submit a synopsis for an upcoming episode, uh, you can do so at sofarscape.com slash submit. Uh, and if you want to contribute to our Farscape fun fund, I guess, to help us keep the light on. Uh, uh, you can sign up for or our Patreon at soulfarscape.com slash support. And uh, as always, we promise that if there's anything left over, we will use it for absolute nonsense, such as the role-playing book. Once again, thank you to all of our supporters. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. Soulfarscape's so, so good. good.